Welcome to Enterprise Radio, the signature show of the Enterprise Podcast Network, featuring some of the most prominent business professionals in the world today. And now your host, Eric Dye. This is Eric Dye, and once again, welcome to Enterprise Radio, a part of EPN, the Enterprise Podcast Network. Joining us on the program, we have both Vicki Lakes Battle, Executive Director of IFF's Chicago Metro Region, and grantee Charlotte Roll, Executive Director of Congo Square Theater. They will both discuss how Chicago's cultural treasures is focused on supporting the art and culture scene in Chicago. And ladies, thanks for joining us here today. Thank you so Good much for having us. Well, you're both so welcome, and we really appreciate you taking out a moment to be with us here today. Certainly looking forward to hearing all the details. So, Vicki, to kick things off here today, and if you would, tell us about Chicago's cultural treasures, the grantees, and the overall initiative working to preserve BIPOC-led and focused art and culture in Chicago. Let's start there today. Well, thanks again, Eric, for providing um, the opportunity for us to share out about this exciting program So born out of the Ford Foundation's America's Cultural Treasures, Chicago's Cultural Treasures, or Shy Treasures, um, is a four-year initiative focused on strengthening, growing, and preserving Chicago organizations, whose mission is to enable the creation, preservation, and dissemination of art stemming from BIPOC traditions, leadership, and definitely culture. The goal is to bolster the long-term financial resilience and sustainability of these organizations. And we do this through a combination of critical general operating support, that's grants, and capacity building and technical assistance. So in 2020, six Chicago funders came together to infuse capital into the sector that had been neglected and partnered with IFF, where I work, which is a lender, real estate consultant, and developer. And the ask of us was to help administer the program and to lead the initiative. So here's what happened. 40 extraordinary Black, Latine, Asian, and Indigenous arts organizations, including Congo Square Theater, um, who you'll hear from momentarily, received a total of $14.4 million in multi-year unrestricted grants, along with capacity building supports and technical assistance. So the technical assistance offerings, which were co-created with the arts community to ensure it meets their organization's specific needs, are currently underway. And some of the topics that we're addressing are fundraising, board development, marketing and communications, financial management, and facilities planning and support. A few learnings from the program, though, as we embarked upon this journey with our funding partners, the initiative revealed um, and this is by evid- evidence by the fact that 140 letters of intent were received when we made the first open call, that there are indeed no hidden treasures. The treasures themselves, the organizations, have been buried by years of uninvestment. And so one of the things that we need to do is to change that. BIPOC art forms contribute to the cultural richness of Chicago by showcasing diverse traditions and fostering community identity, while also educating the broader population about the cultural significance. They play a vital role in preserving heritage, promoting unity, and enhancing the city's artistic and economic vitality. And that last last point is a really important one because we do need to see arts organizations broadly as significant economic contributors. But the arts, particularly in BIPOC communities, um, are definitely integral to any economic development conversation. Shy Treasures was not a standard grant-making initiative, and so I need to make sure that it's very clear that this is a race equity initiative 
for the arts and culture sector. And while the initiative is very much still underway, the hope is that the collective impact of this initiative will be the ongoing disruption of historical trends in funding for BIPOC-led and focused cultural organizations to ensure that these organizations are around for years to come and they continue to make really important contributions to the overall cultural landscape. Well, first of all, we certainly appreciate all you're doing and your efforts there and for the fine report, certainly do appreciate all the details here. Most helpful and a great way to start here today. Now, Charlotte, also great to have you on the program. We hear that Congo Square is Chicago's premier African-American ensemble-based theater company and that you're actually celebrating 20 years and congratulations on that. Tell us a little bit about the history and how the theater company got started. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, Congo Square Theater, and it's actually we're getting ready to celebrate 25, which is super exciting. Um, back in 1999, Reginald Nelson, Derek Sanders, and several others um, were in Chicago, connected to August Wilson, really interested in being able to provide a space for Black theater makers. It, Back in the 60s and 70s, Chicago had over, you know, 30 plus black theaters and the it slowly began to dwindle down. Um, but there also weren't many black ensemble based theaters. And so we wanted the company wanted to have a place where black artists, designers, directors, administrators could come to have a home to really be seen, heard and have our stories told from our perspectives. And so that was the genesis of Congo Square Theater, which now has been um, grown to an ensemble of 20, about 20 persons, as well as a great deal of other artists who have worked with the company, who have gone through the company, who have been built into the Congo ecosystem, which again has largely influenced the Chicago ecosystem and just been influenced by some of these wonderful Black theaters, Black theater leaders, theater makers across the city. So Congo is, our mission is to, we are an ensemble that is dedicated to telling Black stories, to being a haven for artists of color, where we can be seen, heard, and elevated, as well as being able to challenge the theatrical canon, right? What it means to be a theater classic, what it means to build traditional and long-lasting storytelling and develop new voices within the canon of the theatrical ecosystem. Thanks for correcting me there. Nearly 25 years you're celebrating, and that is quite a feat right there. Awesome. And another question, how did Congo Square benefit from the support of Chicago's cultural treasures? Get into some of the details there. Yeah, so... You know, we were immensely grateful for this um, partnership, this funding, and it was truly transformative in the work of the organization. Like Vicky shared earlier, there has, you know, even though we as artists and as BIPOC-led theaters, BIPOC-led organizations really want to be able to create a space for our people to be and to really be able to thrive and to have a space that is truly dedicated for us. What that has historically manifested as was underinvestment, right? Where we had seen what philanthropy, um, where some of the investments were being made were more efforts that um, 
were leading or trying to pursue DEI efforts to create more space, which is also valuable, but sometimes what happened was the funding that would go there would be removed from the organizations that are culturally specific. So the longevity and the sustainability of organizations that are truly culturally specific were suffering. We weren't able to have the resources needed to actually build sustainable organizations um, to do the work so, you know, the compromise of artists to say, I want to work in an organization that is built and designed for me versus like making an actual livelihood became such a burden. And so we were, organizations were understaffed, had no organizational capacity to do more, um, even though the need was there. So this gift has truly been transformative in being able to provide um, more sustainability by allowing us to think beyond just the present moment, you know, the, even like this notion of um, <laughs> like paycheck to paycheck living, grant to grant living, instead of being able to do that, we could think more strategically, we could be able to bring in new staff and not just bring in staff, not just bring in people who don't have the skill sets, but bring in the right people to build reserves, to think about what is the financial model. Um, and I think what was really beautiful about this funding as well, even just was the like the um, flexibility of how we received the funding, which also helped us to think more strategically. So we had the option to determine whatever the grant amount over the course of the three-year period of funding um, how we wanted to disperse it. So for us, we were able to put it in incremental amounts that allowed us to um, each year build the budget around that so that it could increase, it could sustain, as well as building reserves for things that were helping us to be long-term sustainable. And not only just transformational as a gift holistically, but even in the midst of, or rather I would say it this way, not just as a transformational gift in the midst of COVID when it was a national crisis, but the impact of what this allowed for long-term sustainability. You know, there were so many organizations that closed during the pandemic, so many organizations that are no longer with us that were really important because they did not have the support and not just a one-time support, but a support that could go um, a multi-year support that can actually help to build sustainability and give space and support to strategize. And again, like Vicky also shared, not only the financial aspects, but the developmental and technical assistance aspects of it that really help to build strong organizational capacity for the leaders and staff members, board members, the board developments, the um, budgeting, the fundraising planning, there so many of these workshops and um, tools that were given by prestigious organizations that we may not have been able to have access to on our own or be able to afford, but having that access to these resources were just transformative. And then even further beyond that, building the community that has been built with these Chicago Cultural Treasure organizations. Because so much when you're, you know, living, when you're in a crisis mode or like so focused on what am I going to do or what are we as an organization going to do to make sure that we sustain, it can be so tunnel visioned. But what this allowed us also to do was to build stronger community with those that are in our ecosystem, within the ecosystem that we may not have even known about or the ones who we knew about, but 
could not even have the capacity to process how we could connect and build partnerships. And so being able to convene all of these incredible organizations, these amazing leaders, so you have this camaraderie, you have this support, you have a community that is built in that you can see, like, we're all really working towards the the same goals. So how do we help support each other? And it really also helped us to refine our own things. So it's like, you know, we don't all have to do the same thing, but if we have our own lane, then we can know how to support each other better. And then it really becomes more of a collaborative communal effort as opposed to in each individual organization just stemming for itself. Because again, like Vicky shared, this, the creative community really is a vital um, component of the economic infrastructure of the city. And so the more that we can build unification around that with our organizations, then the stronger it can be evidenced and shown the power of it, because sometimes it's not seen that way. I was just going to add, and thank you for that, um, Charlie, for just laying it out, that you know, the, the the program itself was, it just so happened that it launched, um, it wasn't conceived when the, the pandemic started. It was actually um, initiated by Ford prior to. This was not a pandemic response. And so I think, though, that the timing happened to um, create fertile ground for, you know, what, what, what we experienced here is twin pandemics, the period of racial reckoning, as well as the broader um, health crisis that we were facing. And so the timing here, um, there was a, an awareness and an interest um, by the world to learn more about organizations that um, were grounded in racial and ethnic traditions. And so I, I want to amplify that because in this particular instance, timing was important. The other piece that I think I just wanted to highlight that Charlie pointed out was this is about a community, building community, a community of practice. And so I think that sets us up nicely that, you know, even what when once the program sunsets, there's definite opportunities to continue to build on just the legacy of these organizations and to continue to propel them forward. And certainly a lot of exciting things going on there. Really do appreciate this report. Certainly a feel good story. No doubt about it. Today we're joined by Vicki Lakes Battle, executive director of IFF's Chicago Metro region and grantee Charlie Roll, executive director of Congo Square Theater. And they've joined us here today on Enterprise Radio, part of VPN the Enterprise Podcast. Now, also, Charlie, what, in your opinion, does it mean to have an initiative focused specifically on preserving BIPOC-led and focused art and culture in Chicago? Touch on that, if you would. Yeah, I think that this is this is a it is critically important because it emphasizes the need of culturally specific institutions and the legacy that has been built and the traditions that have been. Um, built from those and those that still exist because of them. So I think that um, what this moment, like Vicky shared, we were in a, again, the the moment that this was launched or um, the initiative was made public and being engaged in, we were in the midst of a immense racial reckoning. There were so many things that were just being disrupted in our world. Um, but interestingly enough, it, 
you know, the reality is that none of it has been new. It has only been elevated by the time of crisis. So it was like the crisis of the world elevated the crisis that was already happening. And so this, while it is, you know, a shame that that is what it took for us to get to this point to understand the necessity of these organizations and of our communities, it is still, you know, we have to find the blessing and the silver lining, which again, ironically enough, is often how culturally specific institutions or culturally specific communities, um, BIPOC communities often have to function. We often have to figure out the way through crisis, despite what is going on. And when we're crying out, it's not often heard unless there's something bigger that is highlighting it. And so I think that what this has done, what it has shaken up is also the way that it is changing how philanthropy thinks and how it, um, how they shift their giving priorities, how we really think about racial justice and equity in a real tangible way. And I think that where we are right now is getting to the cusp of um, the space of, all right, we are now moving out of this crisis mode, but the support is still needed. So what do we actually do? And what do we, you know, like, this is when words truly become action um, and action truly becomes principle. And so more than just, we're making a statement, we're making a grant in this moment because everybody's eyes are on the crisis. But is this truly now becoming a shifted perspective and shifted priority? Because when, again, it's not that um, by highlighting or focusing or supporting BIPOC organizations is that it is causing, um, you know, unequitable practices for everyone else. It means that we're trying to build and shift and shake and disrupt systems that were never built to support these organizations and these communities in a way that can actually build equity in the way that we say that we want to see change. And so I think that, again, we, like I said, we're really on the cusp of um, that moment of like the crisis is coming down, um, there are new crises, crises arising, but what is the true core of how we're going to change and is the change going to last? And I really believe that what Chicago Cultural Treasures, the program and IFF are doing is building infrastructure and building support that will continue to sustain that. Um, and so I think this is this truly is a, a critical moment in our economy, in our industry. Now, Charlique, while I still have you close here, what is coming up next? Looking ahead, are there any upcoming programs you'd like to highlight and make us aware of? That would be awesome to get that information. Absolutely. So Congo Square Theater, we are always doing some really fun things. As I shared previously, we are getting ready to celebrate our 25th anniversary. So on June 21st, we will be having our homecoming benefit. Right before that, however, April 21st through May 5th, we will be producing the Chicago premiere of August Wilson's How I Learned What I Learned, 
featuring Harry Lennox, directed by Ken Matt Martin, which will be produced in partnership with Broadway in Chicago at the Broadway Playhouse at the Water Tower Place. Um, in addition to that, we will be having a lot of summer um, festival orient uh, festivals. Our Festival on the Square will be coming up. We have some digital programming. Our um, the Black Side, our sketch comedy series is currently airing on YouTube. Our audio series, The Clinic, is in its final season, playing on our website. And just being able to continue to build more opportunities for artists to connect and build engagement. Um, we really believe in, again, continuing to build community, our pillars of radical generosity, radical community, and radical expansion really devise our efforts and how we do our work and exist in collaboration with community. Well, this certainly has been a pleasure and an honor to have you both with us here today. Keep doing what you're doing. I'm sure Chicago does appreciate it greatly. Uh, tell us, uh, as we conclude here today, where can listeners get all the details on Congo Square, any upcoming performances, and also Chicago's cultural treasures? Uh, just give us all the details where folks can get further details online. Well, I want to join the course in congratulating Charlique and the Congo Square Theater um, company in total on just surviving and making it for 25 years. And so it looks like I'll be busy attending a lot of productions and celebrations um, all the way through the summer. And so I would just urge everyone that if they're in Chicago, they should learn more about Congo Square and any upcoming performances by visiting their website at congosquaretheater.org. Also, to learn more about Chicago's cultural treasures and all of the grantee organizations, visit chicagosculturaltreasures.org. If not in Chicago or wherever you are, I would just urge in general that you support your local arts and look for things beyond what appears in mainstream. Thank you. And you're certainly more than welcome. And of course, listeners, you can find these links within the show notes of this broadcast as well. Ladies, all the best. And again, we certainly appreciate all you do and for joining us here today on EPN. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Again, we've been speaking with both Vicki Lakes-Battle, Executive Director of IFF's Chicago Metro Region, and grantee Charlie Grohl, Executive Director of Congo Square Theater. And for all the details, visit on the Congo Square Theater. It's congosquaretheater.org. And on Chicago's Cultural Treasures, it's Chicago's Cultural Treasures.org. O-R-G. And this is Eric Dye, and you've been listening to Enterprise Radio, part of EPN, the Enterprise Podcast Network. Tune into our live location as we are streaming live 24-7 around the world at epodcastnetwork.com forward slash live. You can also find our live stream on iTunes Radio and TuneIn Radio, as well as the TuneIn Radio app for your listening convenience. And as always, we thank you for your support and for tuning in. Thanks for listening to Enterprise Radio. To subscribe to more of our programming, visit epodcastnetwork.com. This is the ePodcast Network.